Jackson. And this game is underway with a bang. This is where the lacrosse area gathers to talk Wisconsin sports. The Wisco Sports Show is on the air. Join in by phone or text at 796-2558. Now, here's Grant Bills. So, to state the obvious, this is a sports show. The Wisco Sports Show. We have a political station in this building as well. I've been over there a time or two during quarantine. It's fun to talk politics. Not as fun as talking sports. I've tried to avoid discussing what's happening in Minnesota between Minneapolis and St. Paul. The protests that have gotten ugly turned into riots. There's been looting. There's been fires. It's really, really ugly, and it's really, really sad. And I've tried to avoid bringing it up, although I think I mentioned it briefly yesterday. But after last night, it's gotten so bad that it almost feels irresponsible to not bring it up and to not talk about it. And we're not going to spend more than 10 minutes on it today. We actually have a really fun show coming up. We're going to talk Green Bay Packers from 515 on Super Bowl champion from Super Bowl 31. And Packers great Leroy Butler is going to join us at 530 as well. We got a fun show planned and I don't want to get bogged down in politics. But I do want to share my thoughts because I think a dialogue and a conversation about what's going on is productive. And I think it's to the point where it's necessary because if we don't talk about it. We're almost okay with it. We're almost condoning it. We almost treat it like, well, yeah, this is what happens in America. And we shouldn't treat it that way. We shouldn't think that way. This week for me, especially last night, this week has become a sobering reminder of my white privilege. And I know privilege is a really touchy subject, so bear with me for a sec. I want to explain. White privilege doesn't mean that your life isn't hard, that you haven't had to work hard, that you haven't had to overcome things, you didn't have to go to school, you didn't have to impress your boss, save money away to put food on the table. That's not what white privilege means. White privilege means that as a white person, I don't have to worry about things that people of color have to worry about. My favorite example is, let's say I get married, I have a son or a daughter, that son or daughter turns 16, and I'm teaching them how to drive right? Turn them how to teach them how to use their turn signal, stop at a stop sign, right? All that stuff. Do you know a conversation I really don't have to have with my child? What happens if you get pulled over? I don't have to look my, my child in the eye and say, Hey, uh, if you get pulled over, you need to be really, really, really careful. Yes, sir. No, sir. Move slowly. Do what they say. Don't resist. Don't become agitated. That's a conversation I will never have to have. That's my favorite example of white privilege. White privilege is me not having to worry about certain things that others, people of color, have to worry about. That's white privilege. And I was really reminded of that last night because I'm like, you know what the worst part of this week has been for me? You know what's been most frustrating this week? Is the fact that I don't have baseball on to watch. Like, that's what's tough in my life right now is the Milwaukee Brewers aren't playing. And I've spent hours this week talking on this show about how the owners and the players, millionaires and billionaires, are making my life hard by fighting over money so I can't watch baseball. And look, this is what I do for a job, right? And sports are a huge part of my life. So it's a, it's a legit problem that I have. But it's nothing compared to what's going on right now in Minneapolis and in the Twin Cities. And once again, I don't want to bog down the show today with social issues and with talking politics, but this is a sports issue. It's definitely a sports issue, and I'll explain why here in a minute or two. This is the Wisco Sports Show. You're listening to WKTY. Happy Friday. Normally, Friday shows are, are, are pretty low-key. We don't tackle heavy stuff, because normally by Friday, we've, we've kind of covered it all, right? We've kind of beat the same topics to death over the course of the week, and, and we're tired, right? We've been working all week. We've been talking about the same things all week, and we're ready for a couple of days off. 
But we actually have an awesome show today. We're going to talk a lot of Packers. We're going to talk to Leroy Butler coming up at 530, like I said. And you're always welcome to chime in as well. 608-796-2558. That's the five-star telecom talk and text line. As I said at the beginning of the show, I I felt it really necessary to say a couple of words about what's going on in the Twin Cities right now. And by extension, protests springing up in Louisville and in Denver and in Los Angeles and now Milwaukee. It looks like some protesters have blocked off some on and off ramps in Milwaukee, which is close to home. And then another reason why this why this feels important to me is Minneapolis is an hour from my home, not even. I saw a picture the other night that was taken from the bridge in Hudson looking over the river at night and you could see the orange glow of of the city. Hudson was in my conference growing up in high school. I was in Hudson all the time. That's 45 minutes away from my house. That's really, really close to home. I have cousins. I have family members and friends, lots of them that live in the cities, who I visit, who I talk to. This is close to home. So for that reason, it felt important to me that we talk about it for a few minutes. And also, if we ignore it and treat it like it's not a big deal and it doesn't matter because we talk about sports here, well, then we're treating like it doesn't matter. And we're acting like this sort of thing is normal. Eh, this happens every couple of years. And if we don't talk about it and we don't bring it up, then we're never going to get anywhere. We're never going to make any progress. This protest in the Twin Cities and the backlash and the response to this protest is identical to what happened in 2016 when Colin Kaepernick took a knee. And I know nobody died in the protest or in the, in the, the process of what Colin Kaepernick did. There were no riots. There was nothing burned down. I'm talking about the reaction from us, from the majority. Let's talk back to 2016 when Colin Kaepernick originally took a knee. And I want to be very clear, and so there are no mistakes. This is why he took a knee. This is the quote from Kaepernick himself. I went and found it. In his postgame interview after his first kneel, it was the third preseason game, he said, I'm not going to stand up to show pride in a flag for a country that oppresses black people and people of color. To me, this is bigger than football, and it would be selfish on my part to look the other way. There are bodies in the street and people getting paid leave and getting away with murder. So Colin Kaepernick essentially protested in 2016 what is now being protested in the Twin Cities. But if you remember, think back to 2016, what did we turn the conversation into? What did sports shows and and, and political talk shows, what did the conversation turn to? He's protesting the national anthem, the star-spangled banner. He's unpatriotic. He's disrespecting our military. No, no, no one wanted to discuss the actual issue, which was oppression of people of color, police brutality, and people being killed. It was never about the national anthem. That was the vehicle. It was never about hating his country and being unpatriotic. In fact, I think the willingness and the desire to improve your country makes you more patriotic. And it never was about the military. In fact, Colin Kaepernick met with someone in the military and said, hey, how could I be as respectful as possible? And, and, and I, don't, I don't remember the name. The last name was Boyer. I can't remember the, the military man's first name. Said, you know what? It would be better if you kneel. Please don't sit. It would land better for us if you kneel. And Kaepernick said, great. It wasn't unpatriotic. It wasn't protesting a song, and it wasn't meant to hate on the military. That's what we turned it into, because that was a conversation that we were comfortable having. It was about oppression of black people, and it was bigger than football, and he couldn't look the other way. His words, not mine. We twisted it. We changed the conversation. Now, the whole point of history is to learn, right? So we don't make the same mistake twice. Those who don't learn from history are doomed to repeat it. Well, four years later, 
I guess a little less than four years later, we are repeating history and we're doing it again. Because the protests in the Twin Cities, two and a half hours from here, less than an hour from my front door where I grew up, the protests in the Twin Cities started to push back against the killing of a helpless, unarmed black man by police on video in the street. He wasn't struggling. He said, hey, I can't breathe. And he didn't get off. And no police officer stepped in to help while it was videoed. That's what these protests were about. And now the city is tragically burning and the Twin Cities are a horrifying place. If you saw pictures last night, it was, it was breathtaking. And like the Colin Kaepernick situation, I now see the narrative being twisted. We're getting away from the actual point, just like we did in 2016 with Colin Kaepernick. We have now turned the discussion to riots and looting. I can't take you seriously if you're rioting. You're not getting your message across if you're destroying things. What does rioting have to do with remembering the memory of a a man who's been killed by police? Right? If you can't look past a riot to see the deeper issue of systemic historic racism, that's on you. Don't blame the protesters. I see all sorts of talking heads on TV and radio and then, of course, the masses on Facebook and Twitter who are saying, why are you rioting? Right? What, what point does rioting serve? If you're rioting, I can't take you seriously and I won't listen to your protest. Well, that, you know what? That's on you. That's a you issue. That's not, that's not a protester issue. That's not an issue of the people in the cities who are passionately fighting for their lives and for their rights. That's on you. If you can't look past a riot to see the deeper problematic issues of systemic and historic racism in this country, specifically by police in big cities like in Hennepin County where there's been a, a, a track record of this sort of thing, If you can't look past the riots and the fires because it's a little messy, that's on you. That's a you problem. And I thought of the Phil Jackson quote from the last dance documentary. When the reporters were asking about Dennis Rodman, who left the team during the NBA finals to go do WWE. And you remember what the reporters said to Phil? Phil, is this a distraction for the team? Is Dennis being a distraction to the team? And Phil said, no, you're making it a distraction, which is a beautiful answer, right? It's the same concept. It's the same idea. So let's learn from what happened in 2016 with Colin Kaepernick, where we completely flopped the narrative. We got away from the discussion about police brutality and about oppression of colored people, and we made it about a song, the national anthem, or disrespecting the military or being unpatriotic, when that was never the the intention of Colin Kaepernick. And it would be easy, easy to see that if we just went back like I did today and read Kaepernick's explanation after his first protest. It was never about a song or a flag or military. It was about oppression. It was about police brutality. We made that mistake four years ago, and now we're doing it again. We're looking away from the death of an unarmed black man who is in police custody, and instead we're saying, well, these riots are messy. I don't want to take these people seriously. Right? What point does destroying a target have? Going into the store and and, and looting things. That's not the point. And I understand talking about looting and rioting, that's a lot easier conversation for us to have. Right. As a white person, I cannot put myself in the shoes of somebody who has had to deal with repeated and historic police brutality over and over and over again. Every couple of years, something like this happens. And those are only the cases that are reported. So I understand it's easier for you to comment on a riot or a Target store that's destroyed or a Wendy's that's burned down. I get it. That's an easier conversation for me to have as a white person. But let's stop that. Let's stop twisting the narrative and making this situation about something that it's not, just like we did with Colin Kaepernick four years ago. We're better. Let's have learned from it, not make the same mistake. 
because that's ultimately what's going to prevent something like this from happening again in another big city three or four years from now, just like it happened in Ferguson and happened in Baltimore and now is happening in Minneapolis. We're letting the narrative get away from us, and that's going to prevent us from making progress. There we go. Rant over. When we come back, I want to talk about the Green Bay Packers. That's a team we can all talk positively about and wrap our arms around, right? Matt LaFleur's getting rolled a little bit on Twitter today. I'm not going to defend him, but I want to put this conversation into perspective. That's coming up next here on the Wisco Sports Show. You're listening to WKTY. Wisco Sports Show here on WKTY. My name is Grant Bills. Appreciate you tuning in. Happy Friday. Normally, or at least the last couple of weeks, Friday shows are a little bit more laid back, a little bit more relaxed, because by Friday, especially in a world with no live sports, by Friday we've kind of talked about everything, we've argued about everything, and there's really nothing left, and we're ready for a couple of days off. Not today. We're packed. We're loaded. Leroy Butler's going to join us coming up here in about 10 minutes. Talk about Super Bowl 31, which we talked a ton about on Wednesday, so the timing was perfect. That's why I wanted to get Leroy on as soon as possible. And I'll ask him about playing with no fans. I really want to ask a former NFL player their thoughts and opinions and how it would be playing in front of no fans. You know, Lambeau Field, I don't even know what the capacity is up to when you include the the new additions and the suites. But, you know, depending on the stadium, you know, 60 to 80,000 fans in these stadiums and you take them away, that's got to impact the game. That's got to impact the way these players play. So there's a bunch of stuff I want to ask Leroy coming up here in about 10 minutes. I want to get into the Packers. Malafleur is, uh, well, he is trending currently. He went on Willie and Tausch, which is ESPN Wisconsin. Uh, was it yesterday or two days ago? Doesn't matter. You know my thoughts on Willie and Tausch. I, I've said it a couple of times on the show. Willie and Tausch is the platform that Wisconsin sports figures, specifically Packers, go on to air their grievances, to clear the air, to get their name in the news, something. So you go on Wildey and Tausch with an agenda. And it's not personal. I talked to Jason Wildey this last winter. He was very nice. I've never met Tauscher, but I've never heard a bad thing about him. It's not personal. Jason Wildey's welcome on the show anytime. But Wildey and Tausch is the show that, especially Packers, go on to when they have some sort of agenda. Which is fine. I understand that. Most of the time when people go on TV or go on radio, they're promoting a product, a book, something. It's the way the world works. But Wildey and Tausch specifically fits this this model. Nobody goes on that show without an agenda. Every show that they do, have so, every interview that they do, has some sort of shocking quotation or, or piece of news or revelation. But you know what? Like You ever listen to interviews with players and coaches? They're boring and they're full of cliches. And it feels like there's always a manufactured hot quote or a hot story that comes out of every Wildey and Tausch interview. And it gets slightly annoying. But that's the point. This segment is not a referendum on Wildey and Tausch in ESPN Wisconsin. LaFleur went on the other day, and in the meantime, he's getting dragged. And a really fun way to gauge a discussion around a specific person or player is either look their name up on Twitter and just read the results, or look it up on Google and click news and see what the headlines say. So this is, I, I just Googled Matt LaFleur and I clicked news, and this is what came up. A couple articles. Packers revisionist history. Why Matt LaFleur's account of why they took Jordan Love doesn't add up. That's from CBS Sports. From NBC Sports, Matt LaFleur, other players were targeted, got drafted. Jordan Love was next on our board. Right? From AOL. I didn't know AOL was doing sports news. Matt LaFleur feels, quote, really good about relationship with Rodgers despite drafting Love. So Matt LaFleur goes on Wildey and Tausch 
and defends the Jordan Love pick, essentially saying he was the next guy on our board. It's just the way our board fell. And and that has people buzzing. It has people upset. And they're like, really? You're full of it. Including Dave Carney, who I talked to about an hour ago as part of our Midwest Sports Roundtable. And you can check that out on the WKTY Facebook page. The quote specifically that's got people up in arms, specifically Jason LaConfora of CBS Sports Radio, who I think was just really angry when he wrote this article. Here's the quote. It was just one of those situations where there were a couple of guys targeted that had just been previously picked, and Jordan was the next guy on our board, so we went with the best player at the time. So Matt LaFleur is essentially saying, yeah, we liked Jordan, but we liked other guys too. The other guys just got picked, so we ended up with Jordan Love. There's at least a little bit of truth in that statement. It's not complete BS. There's at least a little bit of truth. That is the way the board fell for the Packers. I'm sure there were a couple of guys that Brian Gutekinst was interested in, and they all came off the board in the early 20s. Jordan Love was left, so they traded up to make sure they could get him and took him. My question is, was it Jordan Love or bust? Was he the number one target and they were going for him no matter what? Or were they actually going to wait and see how the board fell? I have no doubt that Gudikins liked Kenneth Murray and liked Justin Jefferson and Brandon Ayuk. But if one of those players would have been there at 26 or 30, would they have taken them instead of Jordan Love? Or was it Jordan Love or bust? That's really, really the crux of this conversation. Many, many people think the Packers messed up by not taking a wide receiver, right? How many times have we heard this the last couple of weeks? They needed to get Aaron Rodgers a weapon. They didn't get him a weapon. And I've explained this a dozen times on my show, and I'll explain it one more time. There were six wide receivers off the board by pick 25. The Packers picked at 30. Who did you want him to take? Go ahead. For all you, for the people who are still beating the wide receiver drum, come on, come at me. Who did you want him to take? Did you want him to reach for an inferior talent, a second-round talent at pick 30? Because that's terrible draft strategy. Six wide receivers came off the board. Packers didn't have a shot at any of them. So who were they supposed to pick? But Grant, they should have taken one in the second round. Yeah, well, seven came off the board by the time they selected A.J. Dillon. Do people forget that there's a disadvantage to drafting at pick number 30? Like, the Packers have been drafting a little higher the last couple of years, so maybe we've forgotten. But remember, 29 other teams had to pick before the Packers. And yeah, there are a lot of wide receivers in this draft, but six came off the board. So which wide receiver did you want the Packers to take? I'm still confused by this. Look at how the draft fell. Look at the first round once, and you'll go, yeah, I guess the Packers didn't really have a great option. They didn't really have a a, a good wide receiver to get by the time that pick 30 came around, or even pick 26, which is where they eventually traded up to take Jordan Love. One article specifically that I read, just trying to read the room on Matt LaFleur, An article by Jason LaConforna, and it's called Packers Revisionist History, why Matt LaFleur's account of why they took Jordan Love doesn't add up. And he's angry. He sounds like he hates Matt LaFleur and everything he stands for, and he's personally against Green Bay, which is why I firstly didn't really like this article because it sounded more like a personal narrative than a a piece of reporting, which is fine, right? The newspaper column has kind of gone out of style and, and, and left shows like this one, or like Colin Cowherd's show, or Nick Wright, or Stephen A. Smith, where... The old newspaper columnist has now become the opinionist on TV or on the radio. And I'm okay with that, but this has kind of passed along as real journalism. And I don't really buy it. And Jason LaConfora of CBS News has me confused because he's talking about wide receivers, linebackers, and a center that were drafted in the early 20s. Specifically the players Jalen Rieger, 
who went to the, the Eagles at 21. Justin Jefferson, who went to the Vikes at 22. Kenneth Murray, linebacker from Oklahoma, who went 23 to the Chargers. Cesar Ruiz, the center from Michigan at 24. And Brandon Ayuk, who went at 25, the last wide receiver taken in the first round. So Jason McConfora is mad because the Packers didn't take Rieger, Jefferson, or Ayuk, who came off the board at 21, 22, 25. He's mad that they didn't want Kenneth Murray, who got picked 23rd, and Ruiz, who got picked 24th. The Packers picked 30th! What did you want him to do? Did you want him to trade up to 20? Because if you're going to criticize him for picking players that were drafted 10 spots before the Packers pick, are you suggesting they should have traded up? Because that's the only conclusion I can draw. We can't fault the Packers for not taking uh, uh, Henry Ruggs. Yeah, I would have loved the Packers to get CeeDee Lamb. But he was taken 11 spots before the Packers were set to pick. Scratch that, 13 spots. Yeah, I would have loved the Packers to get a, a top-flight wide receiver or a top-flight linebacker. But do we forget that the Packers were picking 30? Did we forget how the draft works? Now, the one player I don't get is Patrick Queen. That's the concerning pick for me. He came off the board two picks after the Packers at 28. He went to the Ravens. Patrick Queen, the linebacker from LSU. That's the one player in the first round that frustrates me because I think it actually would have been a really good pick for the Packers. A lot of players came off in the early 20s that Green Bay was high on, so they ended up taking Jordan Love. Patrick Queen was on the board, and and, and this is a concerning pick or non-pick for me because it gives off the same vibe as TJ Watt and Derwin James. Two players that the Packers had in their hand to draft if they wanted, and they said no twice. Everybody thought T.J. Watt was going to be great. He's been great. Everybody thought Derwin James was a a lock to be a great player, and he's been a great player, and the Packers said no to both. And it seems like, under Ted Thompson and under Brian Gutekinds, they really like to ignore the obvious defensive stud that everybody else likes, and for whatever reason, they're like, nah, we'll trade back. We'll get creative. Instead of taking Derwin James, they traded down and they ended up with Rashawn Gary, who barely played last year, and Darnell Savage, a safety who's not as good as Derwin James, the player they passed on the year before. I'm really worried that Patrick Queen's going to turn out to be an eight or nine year stud. A great inside linebacker, a tackling machine, the exact type of player that the Packers could have used. Other than Patrick Queen, what was the good option? Unless, of course, you implied that the Packers should have traded up 10 spots, which would have been a, a monumental commitment of draft capital. People are mad that the Packers got rid of a fourth-round a fourth round pick. They're like, oh, they had to part with a fourth-round pick to get the guy they wanted. I'll give up every year's fourth-round pick if it means I can get the guy that I want in the first round. You have seven rounds. Most teams have more than seven picks. You can't keep everyone. So use some of that draft capital to get the guy you want, for sure. That's what they did with Darnell Savage. I don't disagree with it. You can argue for Patrick Queen, or you can argue the Packers should trade up 10 spots. And I don't see anyone making either of those arguments, and that's why I don't really care what people have to say about Matt LaFleur and Brian Gudikins. They like Jordan Love. Sue him. We'll see how it plays out. If it goes poorly, well, Matt LaFleur and Brian Gudikins are going to have a difficult time finding work in the National Football League. They must really like him. They know more about football than me, so I'll wait and see. But I am worried about them, them passing on Patrick Queen. That's... Uh, That feels like T.J. Watt, Derwin James, 3.0. Man, oh man, oh man. Coming up next, I'm really excited. We're going to talk to Leroy Butler, former Packers safety and Super Bowl 31 champ. I want to get his thoughts on what an NFL season might look like during a pandemic for a player. 
right? I don't know what it's going to look like for me watching it on TV. It's going to be weird, but what about a player? I want to ask him about the offense, the defense, the quarterback room, everything. He is great. He'll join us coming up next on the Five Star Telecom Talk and Text Line. The Wisco Sports Show, back in a moment here on WKTY. Wisco Sports Show here on WKTY. My name is Grant Bills. Happy Friday. Thanks for hanging out. We have some live sports going on in our community. Tell you more about that coming up in about 10 or 15 minutes before we wrap up the show. Right now, I'm really excited for this because we talked about Super Bowl 31 uh, for pack-in time on Wednesday. We spent a half hour talking about it, about uh, the Gravedigger and about Reggie White and Antonio Freeman and... uh, and Desmond Howard. We broke down that game for a half hour, and I thought, you know what? We should try to get Leroy Butler on the show. The original Lambeau Leap, Super Bowl 31 champion, and should be Hall of Famer. He now joins us on the five-star telecom talk and text line. So, Leroy, I, I want to ask you as as a former player, obviously, how would you approach a, a football season during a pandemic? Because you work in radio. You know that the topic of conversation for the last month has been returning to play for the NBA and the MLB yeah. In a pandemic world, what about the NFL? Because there's a lot more contact, and I wanted to ask you as a former player your thoughts on that, and then also with no fans, because you were the player that engineered the Lambo Leap, which is the celebration that you land in fans. So how does all that land for you? How would you approach this upcoming season, assuming we have a season? Yeah, two good questions. The first thing I would do, I would uh, voice my opinion to our representative on my team. We have a team rep that reports to directly to the union, and he basically goes in there and tell him what you know our thoughts are. My thought would be not to have OTAs or mini camps, and the reason why because I don't think it'd be a good idea to have guys coming in in June working out and going back home to their families. Sure. The best thing I would do, I would say, listen, we just move training camp up to maybe July 10th. And when I come there, I'm there. I don't go anywhere else. I'm there. I move in to St. Norbert's College like we normally do. My family stays where they are because normally that's what we do anyway. We come to training camp. Our families are not with us. So I will come in, you know, July 10th or 9th or whatever, stay there for training camp, make sure I go through the proper testing and anything like that. Mm -hmm. And as far as the fans are concerned, I mean, I've been an advocate for a long while, and they're going to go to it at some point, Grant. they got to figure out a way, because the fans, and you pointed to it, without the fans, it wouldn't be a leap. So you got to figure out a way for the fans to be safe. So they got to do some kind of either a lottery system for like 25, 30,000 fans, or let everybody come in that wants to come in with a mask, with the team logo on it, and some gloves if you want hand sanitizer, all all that, yeah. or you, or they could go and say, listen, no fans at all, and we just get the season in. And I just don't know how the fans will react to that. I know people would love to have sports now. Don't get me wrong. But I think that if they open it up to 25,000, 30,000 fans or even a third of the stadium, a lot of people still may not want to come. So you got to just let people know how safe they're going to be if they're going to be sitting in that stadium. Now, the next thing to that are the people in the suites, the 12 seats and all those suites. Those are big money seats. Those people normally, they own those um, those suites. That I'm sure they quarantine with those people, but they still be asked to wear a mask. 
and still be asked to stay in that particular area. Don't go roaming around, but stay in that particular area. But it, the good thing about the NFL, they have a ways away before they can make those decisions. Yeah, they have some time to, to make those decisions. Would it be weird as a player playing without fans, or do you think as soon as kickoff happens, you'd be able to, to just focus on the game? Would it be a night and day difference? Well, see, here's the thing that's kind of contradictory. As NFL players of, of pro sports, you could probably say all the sports, but it, I would say pro sports by itself. We are taught to be laser-focused. Yeah. And if you can focus on once the ball snaps or the ball goes in the air or once you hit a golf ball, you're focused in. You really don't even know the fans are there. You only know the fans are there when you celebrate. Okay. So, but if you, but if you, but if it's baked in to know that the reason why the fans aren't there is because of safety, I think fans, I mean, I think players would be okay with that. But here's what some players have been saying: they don't want the fans not to be there because they don't want guys listening to calls. Greg, listen to me. When I played in the '90s, I heard everything Steve Young was saying. That sure. don't mean I knew what he was doing. So that was that was a head scratcher to me. Like if the fans are there, you still can hear everything. Most of these quarterbacks are mic'd up. The fans can hear Aaron Rodgers' entire cadence. So I'm not worried about that. I'm just worried about the safety of it all to try to get a season in. Okay, that that makes a lot of sense. I suppose I kind of expected an answer. I suppose athletes, once the play starts or once the game starts, you're taught to be focused, like you said, and, and maybe it wouldn't make that big of a difference. I, I Leroy, you you are in radio right now and with no live sports. We're kind of sticking to a couple of big topics. One is the return of sports, obviously, but Jordan Love being drafted by the Packers has given not only Wisconsin radio, but it's given everybody, the whole country, something to talk about. I don't just want to talk to you about Jordan Love. I'd also like to get your thoughts on Aaron Rodgers, so I'll just kind of open the door wide open. How do you feel about the Packers quarterback position going into 2020, going into this season? Well, as long as uh, as, as I felt, Back in the 90s, every time number four was getting dressed, I felt like we had a chance to go to the Super Bowl. I mean, that's just my personal opinion. So I'm assuming every guy in that locker room, as long as Aaron Rodgers is there, you're a Super Bowl contender. Now, the the Packers have done something like, you know, have your cake and eat it too. They're going to be, in their mind, they're going to be good in the future as well as now. But you can almost grant, kind of extend it out to Aaron Jones as well, both Aarons. Yeah. You know, I'm not sure both of those guys have finished their careers in the Green Bay Packers uniform because maybe their successor was were drafted. You know, AJ Dillon. So it's one of those things. Now you just kind of it made me think about this a while ago. I don't know if any great player, if he gets in his 30s, will finish with one team because he may feel like he still wants to play, and the team's like, "Well, you make too much. I'd rather." spend that money elsewhere. It's a business decision. That's why I feel good about my career staying with the Green Bay Packers. As Aaron Jones said, hey, he wants to be a Packer for life. But it's really not up to him. It's up to the Packers. Can they pay a premium running back, you know, $13, $14 million and still pay David Bacciari? And then, I mean, you got a lot of guys. Kenny Clark, it's just a lot of people you have to pay. Five starters due to be free agents this offseason. And then yeah. one of those starters backups, Jamal Williams. And, and that's something we've been talking about on my show, kind of talking to my listeners. Who do you think they should bring back? Who might they have to let yeah. go? It's It's been an interesting conversation. Leroy Butler, uh, sure. former Packers great, joining us on the five-star telecom talk and text line. Other than the quarterback position, I, 
it's been a while since we've we've had to think about this, Leroy, because we had Mike McCarthy as a coach for 10 plus years. We got used to the way things were. We got used to our normal. And now that there's a new head coach who does things completely differently, it's it's difficult to try to predict what the offense might look like this year. Because this is the first time in a while that Packers fans have been faced with change. What do you think about the rest of the offense? Because they're kind of loading up on tight ends and running backs. A complete 180 from what Mike McCarthy did for years. What do you think this offense is going to look like in the fall? Well, see, we talked about, uh, I talked to a lot of fans as well. And a lot of fans felt like Mike McCarthy's system was old and it was stale and they wanted something new. Okay, great. Now you have a different offense. Now you have an offense which is a combination of Tennessee and the Rams and San Francisco, all grouped into one. And you got to get the people you want to run your offense. That's why they took Josiah, the third, the tight end from Cincinnati in the third round. They need an H-back tight end. That's why they took A.J. Dillon. They want a three-headed monster with Jamal Williams and Aaron Jones. And now it gets to a point you got to get bigger, taller, wide receivers to block. That's why they didn't draft a wide receiver. So you kind of see them changing the offense right before your eyes. But I will say this, Matt LaFleur did a, a hell of a job. In his first year to go 13-3, was amazing. But now he understands that. He has to get more explosion plays. I think they were 23rd in the league. you got to get that down to, like, top 10 for people to really respect and put up the points so you don't have to get into this situation with, uh, San Francisco, where you can't stop the run for an hour and a half and you're just sitting on the sideline. you got to compete and get into these shootouts and have enough ammunition to win these games. So, Leroy, I'm, I'm glad you brought up explosive plays because to, to fill time, once again, as a radio host, we've been trying to fill time. Once a week on Wednesdays, me and my listeners have been re-watching a throwback Packer game, and then we've been talking about it. And this week, we rewatched Super Bowl 31. And something that jumped nice. out to me was, yeah, I know, great game, right? Something that jumped out to me offensively that I want to ask you about real quickly. Brett Favre was was pretty good. Neither quarter, Bledsoe and, and Favre both had moments, but, you know, start to finish, neither was great. The difference was the Packers hit a couple of huge plays, right? Now, between Levins yep. and Bennett, they tried to get the running game going, and it it was fine. It wasn't super successful. New England were, were great tacklers. So they won the game by having that extra gear to go to, to throw bombs to Andre Risen and Antonio Freeman and push the ball down the field. That's where New England was weak. And, and I actually was reminded of the games against San Francisco where the Packers tried to run the ball and they tried to do their, 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 their short routes and, and their schemed plays, the Lafleur plays. But San Fran, they're such good tacklers that the Packers needed to, to get a couple of big plays, some big scores. And they, I don't know if they didn't have the personnel for it or, or what. I'm concerned that moving forward, the Packers will run the ball great and Lafleur's scheme will work great. But when they go up against a team like San Fran, very similar to New England in 97, great tackling team. I don't know if this Packer team in 2020 has that extra gear like the Super Bowl team did. What are your thoughts on that? I don't know if they can be explosive enough. See, here's where uh, Matt LaFleur is trying to do new things in the offense. He realized that Kansas City came back to beat San Francisco because they spread them out. Yeah. So you got to spread them out a little bit and make these guys cover in space and make these guys tackle in space. Instead of keeping it so compact, you're playing right into their hand. Keep it. You got to keep. You got to play against San Francisco. You got to play outside the hash marks. You have to. So you got to get your guys out in the, out on the perimeter, and that's why I think you could beat a team like that. But as long as you're inside those hash marks, physical teams like that, you're playing right into their hand. I think they learned something from the off, 
ultimately, the two games you play from San Francisco and watching the Super Bowl, oh, that's what we need. So what they're going to try to do, Grant, they're going to try to do a lot of perimeter runs, but a lot of play action. Hopefully you get a, a safety just to be nosy just for a second to get a guy deep behind him. They're going to do a lot of that. I'm excited to see that, by the way, because I'm, I'm a big, I'm a safety. So the biggest nemesis for me is play action because now it puts me in a guest role. Yeah. I have to guess does Aaron Rodgers have it or not. So once I guess and step forward, the guy's behind me, and that's the big play you want. Yeah, Leroy, and, and former Packer Leroy Butler joining us. I, I got one more question for you. I, I feel like it would be a wasted opportunity to not ask you about Mike Pettin in the defense. Something that jumped out to yeah. me in Super Bowl Thirty One was the way that you were used as a pass rusher, right? And and we all know that right. the, the, the story now about the next year's Super Bowl when the Broncos didn't have to plan for Reggie as much as they had to plan for you because you're so versatile they could move you around. They lined you opposite Reggie, and you were terrific as a pass rusher. Because of the Packers now in 2020 and last year, they play so much dime, right? They have so many defensive backs on the field. Is there a player in this Packers defense that maybe Mike Pettin could use in a similar way, whether it's Darnell Savage or Jair Alexander, bring one of those talented secondary players up near the box, and then maybe you can use Zadarius or Preston Smith in run support a little bit. Do you see any parallels between the 97 defense and the defense coming up this fall? How should Mike Pettin approach that? I think Pettig, to me, sometimes coaches, they stick to what they know. Sure. And sometimes they try not to be the smartest guy in the room. But if you listen to Zadarius Smith after the game, he said they didn't make any adjustments. And that's sort of like what we did in Super Bowl 32 when Denver went to an all-run uh, offense and we didn't make any adjustments. So what do you have to do, uh, stepping back, is the Green Bay Packers didn't make a lot of investment on middle linebackers. No. They put all their money on the, on the corners, pretty much, you know, both the Smith guys. So now you got to go to the, what's new. What's going to be new to stop the run? Because everybody's going to run the ball once you see a, a defensive back at a linebacker position – and you got a linebacker next to him. The dime and nickel defense, that's what he liked. Pettit likes packages. You know, he has to, to me, he has to go back to the traditional base defense to set up those packages. So on first down, put your base defense out there, regardless of what the offense puts out there. Put your base defense out just to let them know, I'm here to stop the run, and I'm going to force Jimmy Garoppolo to throw the ball more than eight times. I'm going to make him win or lose it for you. He never got an opportunity to do that. Sure. So what Pettit has done is say, listen, we're going to upgrade the base defense, and we're going to rotate personnel. And now you'll see a lot of Rashad Gary playing on the inside and on the outside because he backed up Califacro. So I really like the fact that they can move Donnell Savage down as an eight-man front guy. But that would mean you'd have to find another safety that you feel comfortable with being back. So they're kind of in a pickle when it comes to what do you want to stop, either the run or the pass, or you could try to minimize both. Yeah, and, and I know everybody's talking about Kingsley Kiki, and, and he's one of those players that I'm excited to see. I haven't seen it yet. Everything I hear is great, but if he could step up, and I know he's young and raw, but if he could step up, that would be a huge help to Mike Pettin, and maybe he wouldn't have to commit so heavy to stop the run or the pass. Leroy Butler, man, I'm so appreci- I appreciate you so much. This was so much fun, and a couple of days after, after spending a half hour talking about Super Bowl 31 with my listeners, this was cool. I appreciate the time, and Leroy, have an awesome summer, and I hope we have football this fall. Oh, yeah, no question about it. Good to talk to you, Grant. Anytime, buddy. That's Leroy Butler, Super Bowl 31 champion, former Packer great, and should, without a doubt, 
be in the Hall of Fame, which is a different conversation for a different time. Uh, If you missed out on any of that interview, maybe you're just tuning in at the end. It's about 15 minutes long, and Leroy was awesome. So I'm going to put the whole show up in podcast form right after 6 o'clock. Go to WK2iSports.com, and you can also listen on our mobile app. When we come back, I want to do a couple things. I want to continue our Packers conversation. I want to remind you that there are some local sports going on in our area this weekend. I'll tell you about that. And I want to remind you of a really, really cool uh, giveaway we're doing as a part of our website at WK2iSports.com. So we got to check all those things off our list. Say goodbye for the weekend. Coming up next here on the Wisco Sports Show. You're listening to WK2i. Final segment of the Wisco Sports Show here on WK2i. My name is Grant. I'm going straight home. In, uh, in about a half hour after work, I'm going to turn on some Jimmy Buffett. I'm going to crack a nice summer shandy and start my weekend. It's been a... It hasn't been a long week, right? This is a four-day week, and it still feels like it's never-ending, especially between the pandemic and the tragic course of events that have been going down up in the Twin Cities. I actually started today's show with about 10 minutes of conversation about what's going down in the Twin Cities. If you missed it, go check out the podcast, WK2iSports.com, and on our WK2i app as well. I think it's worth your time. It's, it's a conversation that needed to happen. And, and now we can move on, at least for the time being. But it would have been irresponsible uh, to not discuss it today. Also, a couple housekeeping things. Uh, I, I don't want you to forget, we have a pretty sick giveaway going on at WKTYsports.com. All you have to do is take a picture in your favorite piece of Wisconsin sports gear. Now, personally, I would like to see a really cool throwback jersey of a player that I've forgotten about. But you can wear an Aaron Rodgers jersey. You wear a Christian Yellow jersey. doesn't matter. Your favorite Wisconsin sporting gear Submit a picture at WKTYsports.com. And every Friday starting next week, uh, Dave, Dave Carney on the WKTY Morning Show is going to draw one winner. Winner gets four rounds of golf, including cart, which is a, that's, I don't, I don't, I don't golf ever. And I'm definitely not golfing without a cart. You, you get that all at Tremble Mountain. And then you get a couple of beers and some burgers at Howie's after your round. It's a perfect afternoon out. And when we're all trying to social distance, it's really the perfect uh, social distancing prize package as well. So submit your picture. Hit us up at WKTYsports.com, and Dave will start drawing winners next Friday morning. I wish we had a little bit more time to talk about the Packers, but that's how radio works. we got to save stuff for next week as well. Leroy Butler joined us for about 15 minutes. He hit everything from playing sports in a pandemic. I thought the tidbit he had to say about Steve Young, he's like, Grant, in the 90s, I heard every word Steve Young was saying. Every single word. What could the what could the dynamic be like if there are no fans and there's no noise to drown out what's going down on the field? Everybody's going to be able to hear everything. Something I hadn't even thought about. We talked about the Super Bowl team. We talked about Aaron Rodgers, Matt Lafleur. We covered it all. Check out that conversation. The podcast will go up just after six o'clock on our website and uh, and on our mobile app or wherever you listen to your podcasts. Have a restful and relaxing weekend. I'm going to try to get off social media. I'm going to try to unplug for a little bit. And just take a deep breath. As a country, we're, we're kind of going through it right now. Pray for each other. Support each other. Enjoy your weekend. I'll be back on Monday. Same time, same place here on the Wisco Sports Show. Talk to you then.